This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Heavenly Learning. Nancy Wentworth, chair of the BYU Department of Teacher Education when this address was given, will give her message entitled, Our Eternal Education. It is a humbling experience to be asked to speak at devotional, but I'm happy to be with you today to share my testimony of the gospel. I love being a teacher. I see myself as a teacher in every aspect of my life—in my work, with my family, in my Church calling. When I teach, I like to ask questions, begin a discussion with my students. So standing in front of you as a speaker, as a lecturer, is uncomfortable for me. So as I speak to you today, I will ask you to think about what we are talking about. You may not be able to answer me the way you would in a classroom, but you should be able to form answers in your mind and in your heart. I hope this will help you feel the Spirit and use what I will talk about in your personal development. My first teaching assignment at BYU was a class entitled Exploration of Teaching for Students in a Secondary Mathematics Education major. On the first day of class, I had a discussion with my students about how they viewed teaching and learning through the lens of several metaphors. Today I would like to share with you some of our discussion. I want us to look at how each of these metaphors might help us understand the eternal education we are here on this earth to receive. Our eternal education begins with our understanding of where we have come from why we are here, and where we are going after this life. In many ways, these are the same questions we address as educators. We want to know about our students, where they come from, what is their background, their home life, their cultural experiences, what we can draw on that will help us teach them in a language and with examples they will understand. We want to instill in them a vision of where they are going, to set goals for themselves, and to help them attain those goals. Today I would ask you to think about the purpose of your life here on earth. When I ask you, why are you here, you might say, to receive a body, to learn how to keep the commandments, or to become like Christ. Elder Dallin H. Oaks wrote, We are all children of a Heavenly Father who has sent us to earth with the invitation to prepare for eternal life. Every choice, every experience, every repentance and reformation prepares us for what is to come. President Thomas S. Monson has told us, Clearly one primary purpose of our existence upon the earth is to attain a body of flesh and bones. We have also been given the gift of agency. In a thousand ways we are privileged to choose for ourselves. Here we learn from the hard taskmaster of experience. We discern between good and evil. We differentiate as to the bitter and the sweet. We discover that there are consequences attached to our actions. Today I hope I can help you see how we use our gift of agency how we learn from experience, 
how we prepare for our eternal life by becoming a disciple of Christ. The first day of class, I asked my students to think with me about many different ways to view education and how their views might impact how they think about teaching and learning. I had the students get into groups, and I assigned each group to think about a particular metaphor as a tool for thinking about education. One group discussed education as a race. Another group was assigned to think about education as a garden. And the last group was asked to use family as their metaphor. When I asked my students to think about a race as a metaphor for education, they almost always began the discussion with the notion of competition. Competition, is that a positive or a negative thing in education? Some students mentioned an athlete, that an athlete is willing to win at all costs. What about the idea of growth as an athlete? How does that happen? What is the role of the coach? And what is the role of the athlete? During the Summer Olympics this year, a colleague said to me, Why are we so glued to each event even when we really don't know anything about that event or anyone competing in it? Perhaps the reason is that we love to see people truly excel at something. Some competitors were so sad to have a silver medal. They wanted the gold. It was an all-or-nothing proposition for them. For some of them, success has been easy. They have continually been told how good they were and that they were the best. Other athletes were thrilled that they had their personal best time at the Games. They were improving, getting better with each race and each competition. In the classroom, there are some students who feel that they can never be the best student in the class, the winner. So why should they continue to work? They might think, if I can't be number one, then there is no point in trying at all. As teachers, we try to encourage growth in our students, not just winning. Is the student or athlete trying to improve his own learning and understanding, or is he only trying to beat someone else? We want them to feel that their personal improvement is a victory and that working hard is the way to improve. In our eternal education, we should remember that we are not in competition with others. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland spoke about how the success of others does not diminish our efforts. He stated, Brothers and sisters, there are going to be times in our lives when someone else gets an unexpected blessing or receives some special recognition. May I plead with us not to be hurt and certainly not to feel envious when good fortune comes to another person. We are not diminished when someone else is added upon. We are not in a race against each other to see who is the wealthiest or the most talented or the most beautiful or even the most blessed. The race we are really in is the race against sin, and surely envy is one of the most universal of those. From a spiritual perspective, are we in a race for eternal life? Elder Neil L. Anderson addressed this issue in his conference talk in April 2012. Jesus' call, Come Follow Me, is not only for those prepared to compete in a spiritual Olympics, 
In fact, discipleship is not a competition at all, but an invitation to all. Our journey of discipleship is not a dash around the track, nor is it fully comparable to a lengthy marathon. In truth, it is a lifelong migration toward a more celestial world. Wherever you are, wherever you now find yourself on the road of discipleship, you are on the right road, the road towards eternal life. Together we can lift and strengthen one another in the great and important days ahead. One more area of importance for me in the race metaphor is the role of the coach and the role of the athlete. The athletes at the Olympics were grateful to the coaches who had recognized their ability, who had helped them know which race would suit their natural talents, who had helped them improve, who had advised them about a strength that needed to be built and who had encouraged them as they repeated and repeated the skill until their performance, their time, improved. I would ask my education students if they have had a coach, a really good coach. If so, how did that coach help them improve? My students talked about how a coach helped them see what they needed to do to improve. The coach saw that to get off the blocks faster, a runner needed to strengthen a particular muscle. To do that, the coach gave the athlete the assignment to spend time in the weight room to strengthen that muscle. And my students talked about how they were the ones that needed to do the work. It is one thing to have a great coach who can see just what the student needs to do, but if the student does not follow the guidance of the coach, then the muscle does not get stronger. And so it is in the classroom. The teacher can help the student know what he needs to do to improve his skills in reading or mathematics, but if the student does not do the work, then there is not much improvement. How does this apply to our eternal education? The scriptures are replete with stories of coaches who had advised and guided and taught others how they might better their performance as they strive to become a disciple of Christ. In Alma 39-42, through 42, we learn about the way in which Alma coached his son Corianton about the plan of salvation, about his current abilities and practice, and what Corianton needed to do to succeed in this life. Alma pointed out to Corianton the concerns he had in his performance. Now, my son, I would that ye should repent and forsake your sins and go no more after the lusts of your eyes, but cross yourself in all these things. For except ye do this, ye can nowise inherit the kingdom of God. O remember and take it upon you and cross yourself in these things. In verse 10, Alma continued to help Corianton see what he needed to do to improve next. And I command you to take it upon you to counsel with your elder brothers in your undertakings. For behold, thou art in thy youth, and ye stand in need to be nourished by your brothers, and give heed to their counsel. In verses 11 and 12, Alma reminds Corianton that he has sinned in the past and that he needs to turn away from this activity. In verse 13, Alma is very direct with Corianton when he tells him to turn to the Lord with all your mind, might, and strength, 
that ye led away the hearts of no more to do wickedly, but rather return unto them and acknowledge your faults and that wrong which ye have done. Alma seems to understand the role of a coach here. He provides clear instruction to Corianton about what he needs to do, and he encourages him to do it. Alma knows that he cannot change Corianton, but the Corianton can change if he follows the direction of his father. Corianton must exercise his free agency and do the work to change his behavior. I wish I could hear from all of you now. Are you thinking about a person that you have coached or someone who has coached you? Are you thinking about a time when you did the hard work that a coach told you to do so that you can improve your skills? Has this idea helped you in your eternal education? Have you been instructed about what you need to do to become a disciple of Christ? We can learn from the story of Alma and Corianton whether we are thinking of ourselves as the coach or the athlete. As a coach, we need to be kind and loving and supportive of the person we are trying to help. As the athlete, we are responsible for doing the work that will help us become an eternal disciple of Christ. We need to listen to those coaches in our lives who can help us develop spiritually. These people may be our bishops, home teachers or visiting teachers, family members, friends. We need to listen to their counsel and then exercise our free agency by doing the work that they see will help us grow spiritually. How do we grow spiritually? What does that mean to us? Perhaps we can learn about that from the garden metaphor. My students enjoyed discussing their views of education through the lens of the garden. They described the role of the teacher to be like that of the gardener who creates an environment in which children can learn, where each student can grow into his or her full potential, whether that is an apple or a pumpkin, a scientist, an artist. It is the responsibility of the gardener to create an environment where the seed can grow, where the students can thrive and develop. I would ask my students to think about what the role of the student is in this garden metaphor. We can learn a great deal about the role of the student when we read the parable of the sower in Matthew 13:3-8. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed some seeds fell up by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. When thinking about our eternal education to become a disciple of Christ, how have you prepared yourself to receive the gospel and grow in your potential during this lifetime? Are you ignoring the gospel and not accepting the seeds, letting the fowls devour them? Are you the stony soil where the gospel message falls but where the roots of the gospel do not grow deep? 
Are you good ground where the seeds of the gospel can take root and bring forth fruit? Elder M. Russell Ballard said in his October 2012 conference address, How do we take the seed of faith that has been nurtured in our minds and planted deep in the fertile soil of our souls? How do we make the mighty change of heart that Alma says is essential for our eternal happiness and peace? The questions posed by Elder Ballard are important ones for eternal education. What do we do to plant the seed of faith in our heart so that we can become a disciple of Christ? This is a key question in education. How do students truly learn? Is a lecture in a classroom the best way to help students gain knowledge? Can students do a few homework problems and feel confident that they know the material? Just listening to others who are experts in a field is not enough to truly know something, to have planted it in our hearts. As educators, we want our students to experience learning in multiple ways. We want students to read, to practice skills, to discuss with others how they understand what they are learning. We want them to have personal experiences with knowledge. Then understanding becomes embedded in them, and that makes their learning personal and real to them. If we are to become a disciple of Christ, we need to have personal experiences with what that means. What personal experiences have you had that help you become like Christ? Have you ever been asked to do something for someone and you really didn't want to do it? If you did it anyway, did you feel good about it? Did you get that feeling that service is a good thing to do? One of the blessings of service is the feeling of becoming like Christ. Initially, you might serve others because your mind knows that you should. You have heard friends or family members talk about serving others. You might have done service as a group with others. But then you experienced service that you decided was worth doing. The seed was planted in your heart, and it began to grow. It was planted deep in your heart and would help you in your eternal education to become a disciple of Christ. Returning to Alma 41 and the story of Alma's instructions to Corianton, we learn the true nature of our heart. What is planted there and growing in our heart is that nature that will be restored to us in the resurrection. And it is requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works. And if their works were good in this life and the desires of their hearts were good, that they should also at the last days be restored unto that which is good. And if their works are evil, they should be restored unto them for evil. Therefore, all things should be restored to their proper order, everything in its natural frame, mortality raised to immortality, corruption to incorruption, raised to endless happiness to inherit the kingdom of God or to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil the one on the one hand and the other on the other. So our eternal education, that of becoming a disciple of Christ, requires that we plant the seed of the gospel in our hearts and live it. The garden metaphor helps us understand that we can plant the seed of the gospel in our hearts through our personal experiences. 
The final metaphor that we discussed in my education class is that of a family. How does a family help us think about education in a classroom and think about our eternal education? Elder Paul E. Kolaker stated, The Father's plan designated the pattern of the family to help us learn, apply, and understand the power of love. Because of the heaven-designed pattern of the family, we more fully understand how our Heavenly Father truly loves each of us equally and fully. Children start out life so dependent on their parents for everything—food, warmth, safety. Parents teach their children, and sometimes that means correcting them. A truly loving parent does not demean their children when they make a mistake. Instead, they help the child see what they need to do to make things right or to improve, to grow. At school, children learn many things beyond skills and knowledge. They learn to share, to work hard, to experience new things, to ask questions, to explore new ideas. They learn to care about people other than themselves. Children in school may not always want to do their homework or practice a skill. But a teacher helps them see how this work can help them grow. Like a loving parent, good teachers point out the small successes of their students. So the students want to keep trying, keep working, keep growing. In a family where children are being taught the gospel, they learn to pray, to read scriptures, to go to church. They have experiences where they can feel the Spirit. And those experiences can help them recognize the feeling, that feeling, in the future. They practice being a disciple of Christ so that they can become a disciple of Christ. This is where they experience the gospel. When I think of a family, I think of loving parents who sacrifice for their children. Parents love their children for many reasons partly because they serve them every day. They sacrifice for them. They give their lives for them by giving their time and their resources to ensure the growth and success of their children. Parents want the best for their children. I think if you were to ask parents, they would say that their acts of love and service are not a sacrifice. Rather, giving their lives for their children is a joy. There are many ways that we learn to serve others and sacrifice for them. The Church provides opportunities for us to be of service. Last summer, when there was a great deal of wind damage in Davis County, bishops dismissed Church after a sacrament meeting so members of the Church could go cut up fallen trees, remove destroyed fences, truly serve others. Brigham Young sent Church members out from their meetings to help others who were struggling on the plains. During the 2012 General Women's Conference, President Henry B. Eyring spoke of the kind, loving Relief Society sisters who helped a family with food, cleaning, and shopping when a tiny baby was born 15 weeks early. Are we learning to serve others from these examples? Do we see the needs of others when Church leaders do not ask us to give service? How does the family metaphor help us answer these questions? The family metaphor is critical to the way we live the gospel. 
We know that we are all eternal brothers and sisters in an eternal family. We know that we share a loving Heavenly Father and a common Savior who is our elder brother. I would hope that as we become more like Christ, we want the best for others in the same way we want the best for our earthly families. I hope that we can see love and service and serve everyone around us because we see them as members of our eternal family. If we love others and serve others as we do members of our earthly family, then it is not a sacrifice to love and serve them any more than it is a sacrifice to be a parent. In Alma 43, we read about how Corianton had learned the lesson of the family metaphor. When Corianton came to understand all that his father Alma was teaching him, he spent the rest of his life teaching others the gospel. And now it came to pass that the sons of Alma did go forth among the people to declare the word unto them. And Alma also himself could not rest, and he also went forth. Now we shall say no more concerning their preaching, except that they preached the word and the truth according to the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And they preached after the holy order of God by which they were called. Corianton, along with his brothers and his father Alma, lived the rest of their lives sharing the gospel with others. They showed their love of their eternal family through their service. Did Corianton do it as a sacrifice or because it gave him joy? I think it gave him joy because he understood that his eternal education, that of becoming a disciple of Christ, was not a race to be won but a lifelong journey. He began to coach others in how they should live the gospel. He had planted the seed of the gospel in his heart so it could grow and rise with him in the resurrection. He found joy in the loving service he was giving to his eternal brothers and sisters by sharing the gospel with them. It is my prayer today that we will think about what it means to gain an eternal education, an education where you become a disciple of Christ. I pray that you will remember the race metaphor and know that you are not in a race with others for eternal life, but that you will listen to those who are like a coach who teaches you to develop as a disciple of Christ. I pray that you can place the seed of the gospel in your heart and that your experiences in living the gospel will help that seed to grow. I pray that you will prepare for eternal life by loving and serving all of mankind as part of your eternal family, not as a sacrifice, but with joy in the service. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf stated what it means to be a disciple of Christ in the priesthood session of the October 2012 conference. May I close with his remarks. Let us deepen our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us take upon ourselves his name and commit each single day to walk anew in the path of discipleship. Let our works make our faith perfect through discipleship. We may be perfected one step at a time by serving our family, our fellow men, and God. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. 
Today's theme was Heavenly Learning. Nancy Wentworth gave her message entitled Our Eternal Education. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.